Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to have a conversation with John. John, take a second to say hello to the audience. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is John Nardone. I'm the president of MediaOcean. It's awesome to have you on the show. Let's dive right in. Let's kick it off with the famous one word open. So give us one word right now, John, that could describe your current state, how you're feeling, you know, how, what you're looking forward to. So if you could sum it up in one word, what would that be? I, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I, I love ad tech. Um, I've loved it since the day I got into it in 1994. And I'm as excited today um, for the opportunities in front of us as I was when I put the first ads on the internet in 1994. Interesting. I can't wait to dive into it. It sounds really exciting. Take the next few minutes. Tell, tell us more about that, about your background, how you got started, where you are today, and where you're headed. Sure. Um, so uh, I, I started off as a classically trained marketer. I, I grew up in, in the early part of my career at Procter and Gamble and, and Pepsi and brand management. You know, I, I worked on, you know, diverse things like Vicks Vapor Rub and NyQuil, and and then uh, I was the brand manager on Stolichnaya Vodka for several years, um, which was a really fun job. Um, and in 1994, I joined a little startup ad agency called Moda Media, which went on to put the first ads on the internet and be the first ever digitally focused agency. Um, and so got to be part of the formative years of digital marketing. Um, I was uh, one of the founding board members of the IAB in 1995. And um, so, so it's been a, a quite a run um, as, you know, digital has reinvented the whole marketing industry. I mean, you could argue invented our whole society, but um, from, from where we're sitting, um, the way consumers interact with advertising, um, and, and it's still impacting um, our business today. Technology doesn't stand still, it's always evolving. And how technology impacts um, the way we interact with media continues to evolve today with the advent of streaming services um, and so forth. So um, it remains dynamic uh, and exciting. That's awesome. Thanks for giving us a high level overview. Um, what about the pandemic? Tell us you know, how it impacted your company and how you pivoted out of it. I know everyone's been struggling with it, but I'd love to hear your side of the story, like how you got out of it, so to speak, how you pivoted. Yeah, well, so so an important piece of the story is that I was the CEO of Flash Talking from 2015 until this last September when we were, we were acquired by MediaOcean. So much of the pandemic um, was during my leadership of Flash Talking. Um, and of course, we were um, in that time frame planning to sell the company when the pandemic hit. Um, so it was a, a time of great uncertainty um, for us. Um, of course, in the early days of the pandemic, nobody knew how this was going to play out, how bad it was going to be. Um, what, um, and, and importantly, because ad agencies are, are a big part of our client base, we didn't know how they would be affected. So we were preparing for cash flow um, challenges. Um, we were afraid agencies wouldn't pay their bills, um, revenue would dry up, and we were desperate to not have to dismantle you know, the, the, the people infrastructure of our company. And of course, with private equity owners, the first thing um, that they said was, well, lay people off. And we absolutely didn't want to do that. Um, so we, we went to the employees um, and, and, and asked them, um, if they would be willing to, to essentially collaborate with management to avoid layoffs. And, and resoundingly, the response from, from our employees was they didn't want to see anybody laid off or for their peers and colleagues to lose their jobs. 
Um, so what we were able to do is ask the employees um, essentially to allow us to withhold 20% of their, um, uh, their income. So we, we basically um, managed our cash flow by, by not paying our employees 100% of what they were due um, with the promise that when the pandemic was over, we would pay them back. Wow. Uh, and, and that's, that's exactly what we did. In fact, uh, by the end of, of 2020, um, November and December, we made the payments um, and, and were able to pay back all the money we essentially borrowed from our employees. Um, and, and that was a, a very, very powerful experience in, in terms of, frankly, the openness and vulnerability of, of having to go to the employees and saying, look, we don't know how this thing is going to play out. And our fiduciary responsibility to shareholders is to protect the well-being of the company. Um, and here's a trade-off. And, and to see how the employees came together was very, very reaffirming. And what came out of that was the saying that, that became a catchphrase for us at Flash Talking was take care of the company so the company can take care of you. Um, and, um, you know, that's how, that's basically how we worked our way out of it um, and managed, you know, cash flow through. And we wound up actually having a pretty good year in 2021. Uh, 2020 leading to our sale in 2021. Wow. What an interesting story. What kind of headcount were you guys as, as an organization? Um, a little over 300 at the time. Publicly traded, you said, or not? not? No, uh, we're, we're private, private equity backed. Um, and we've been acquired by Mediocean, which is likewise private equity backed. Okay. So since then, now that you're, a, you, you got acquired and all that, so tell us about a win. Tell us about and one that you may have put on the board last quarter, something you're proud of that you'd like to speak to at a high level and tell us or whatever details you want to share. That'd be great. Well, um, I, look, there are a lot of wins, you know, selling the company and, and managing a transaction in the middle of a pandemic is a, is a win. Um, it's certainly something that I, I'm, I'm proud of in terms of what we're able to return to shareholders and for the employees to participate very, very broadly. in. so I'm proud of that. Um, but, but at my, at my heart, I'm a product guy. Um, you know, the, the, the technology and the advancement and application and technology in our space, um, is what gets me out of bed every, every day. And so the advancement from a product standpoint, I think, are the, the things that I'm, I'm probably, um, come to mind first when, when you ask that question, We've, we've launched a suite of verification products for fraud detection, um, brand safety uh, protection, and um, viewability um, that, that's being, been very, very well received. We won some pretty large contracts with one of the big social media platforms around that. Um, we uh, have launched a new cookie-less uh, capability so that we're the world's first completely cookie-less ad server for clients who choose um, to go that way. Um, wow. And, uh, and we're just launching a new AI platform um, for dynamic creative personalization um, that's completely based on audience and, and uh, ambient data available on the platform so that you don't have to set a lot of rules and the, the system uses AI to figure out the right creative to serve to each person. That's awesome. How about um, your point of view on thought leadership? Let's shifting over to that. So I would love to hear your point of view on you know what thought thought leadership means to you. There's no right or wrong answer, and then once you tell us what it means to you, tell us you know 
what you think a certain person must possess, um, in your opinion, for them to be a great thought leader? Well, so thought leadership to me is, is all about connecting where we are to the future for people. Um, and, and that can be in, in any number of ways. It could be in terms of organizations. It could be in terms of technology. It could be in, in terms of macro trends. But, you know, the, the defining characteristic of thought leaders is their ability to imagine a future state. Um, but just being able to imagine a future state isn't really enough you have to be able to chart a path from where you are to that point in order for people to respond to it. Um, and, you know, for B2B marketing, I think thought leadership is the most critical aspect of how companies come to market. If we can help our prospects and customers imagine a future and then imagine a path from where they are to how they can get there, why should they pay attention to us? Um, so, so focusing on thought leadership and publishing thought leadership in terms of blog posts, articles, um, white papers, um, was really a hallmark of the way we went to market at Flash Talking. And now as here at Media Ocean is, is a sort of concept that I'm, I'm passionately bringing to the new organization of constantly being able to help chart the future. And the, the fun thing about that is, you know, you don't always get it right, right? None of us have a crystal ball. So it does take um, some, you know, chutzpah to be willing to go out there in your industry and chart a future that you can't ever be 100% confident is, is what's really going to happen. But, but it's that, that putting the marker out there that allows other people to respond, um, whether that's inside your organization or outside your organization and create the kind of dialogue that helps increase your odds of getting it right and bring other people into the conversation, whether that's industry partners or customers or employees. And I think that's really important. Um, and, and I spend a lot of time on that for that reason. That was well put. I really appreciate that. Um, I don't think I've ever heard that, um, what method of, you know, the way you described, you know, your point of view, how thought leadership, what it means to you, and how it should be done. That was beautifully said. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So let's talk about company culture. So the same along the same lines as uh, thought leadership. You know, what is an awesome co uh, company culture? Uh, what does that look like in your opinion? And what does a company need to have? Like, what kind of a stride do they need to be hitting in order to have an awesome culture? Well, you know, an awesome culture is one that supports the the goals and the strategy of the company. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't think there is, you know, any one culture that that is going to be right for everybody. Um, but I do believe that engineering culture, designing the culture and creating it is one of the most important roles of the CEO um, and, and certainly the executive team uh, as well. But really, the CEO is the one who, who charts the course. Um, when I think about culture. I think about the foundational pillars. Who are the organizational heroes? What are the myths and legends um, that are told over and over again in the company that encapsulate the, the core values? What are, what are the real communication channels? Not just what does management say, but how do people actually get information and form opinions within the organization? Those are all things that I look at when I come into an organization to understand whether they align 
with the goals and the strategies that the company is trying to uh, uh, trying to meet. And when I when I joined Flash Talking, for example, in 2015, um, you know, it was a company that was actually quite successful already. But my challenge in coming in as the CEO was to scale it to the next level. So um, the company had done you know, 37 million in revenue the year before I got there. Um, do a, did 100 million last year um, as we sold. So over the course of a six-year period, we, you know, we tripled, almost tripled the revenue of the company. But in 2015, the first thing I had to do was to say, does the culture that we have today support this ambition to triple, mm -hmm. triple the size of the company? And, and what I discovered pretty quickly was that in many ways, the culture was still very much a startup culture. Um, and there were aspects of that culture that would hinder it from being able to scale in the way that we wanted to. Um, an example is that the cultural heroes um, were individual contributors that were highly, that had very, very strong individual technical skills. So the, the sort of the myths and legends of the company was a, you know, Susie who stayed up all night for a week and recoded a client's um, uh, instance of the software all by herself to, to meet a short-term client demand. Or a programmer who found a clever way to hack around the security of the system to get something done for a client under duress. All of these stories were about doing things for clients, but they had two things in common. Um, they were about individual contributors rather than about management. Um, and they didn't respect classic sort of software management protocols that you need to have in a larger company, which you can get away with when you're very, when you're very small and only a few people are touching the code base. But as you grow and, and, and build your, your engineering team, you have to have more, more process and protocols. So we had to go about remaking the culture um, to value managers um, who avoided the last minute crises rather than the technical people who overcome, who could overcome a last minute crisis. Um, that meant redefining the values and restating the values and creating an awards program where the employees nominated their colleagues who best encapsulated the new express values of the company. And over the course of a few years, we managed to shift the culture to really uh, appreciate people with management talent who could manage teams, bring process and, and improve the technical quality of the software itself. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's, and that's what you did to triple the income over from 2015 to 2019-ish or 18. 2020, yeah, that's wow. right. Interesting, very cool. Uh, tell us about what type of clients you serve and what kind of problems would they be having? As, let's just say a potential client is listening to this right now. You know, what are the what are the day to day challenges they're facing, or what kind of what you know what areas of improvement are they noticing that they can't quite quite grasp, which yeah. would make sense for them to reach out to you guys? What about tell us about that? Yeah. So so there's there's sort of two sides to to MediaOcean's business. Um, one side is providing the software infrastructure for ad agencies to run their business. So if you think of it as the technical and financial operating system of the ad agencies um, and virtually all of the major ad agencies and independents run the media ocean software suite. Um, on the flip side, there's a suite of products that are used by the end clients themselves. And probably those are the ones best uh, to talk to because that flash talking tech is in that bucket. Um, 
So flash talking brings a, a suite of tools for enterprise marketers to better manage their online advertising. Um, certainly there are tools out there available from Google and other folks, but for the most part, the tools that are available are owned by the publishers. And so there's a real conflict of interest um, if you're talking about Google or Facebook, for example, and using their native tools in order to buy and manage your advertising because they're, they're the ones doing the counting and they're the ones telling you if, they're, if their media is performing. So they're not unbiased. Um, what, what Flash Talking provides is an independent and unbiased set of software for managing those software interactions, um, whether that's dynamic creative to help you personalize each ad that's delivered to each consumer, um, whether it's the primary ad server that allows you to deliver the ads and count them so that you can be sure that you're getting what you bought from the publisher. The pub you bought a million impressions from a publisher, our software confirms that in fact, you delivered a million ads to that publisher as an independent auditor, if you will, of that media transaction. Um, and there, there's a, a, a pretty rich suite of capabilities all around letting advertisers get more productivity out of their online uh, and digital advertising spend. Wow, that's awesome, John. I know you bridged a lot of gaps um, for some of the audience listening, if I had a guess, because you said it so well. I mean, when you're using Google or Facebook, they're not only doing the accounting, but they're also giving your metrics, which is definitely biased. So, <laughs> I see. Yes, they are. And, and, and over the years, it continues to be, you know, every few months, the next revelation of, oops, Facebook overstated the amount of videos or Google wasn't counting things correctly. Um, there, there's, there's a, a legitimate uh, sort of responsibility to have an independent view of, of media. That's why people use Nielsen for TV measurement, because it's independent of the broadcasters. We've always in advertising um, had that understanding that there needs to be an independent third-party auditor of, of truth when we're talking about the billions of dollars that are spent in the industry on advertising. Interesting. Great. Well, here we are at the end. If you want to take this opportunity to give out your website address and your social handles, that way if people want to follow up and check out what you have to offer, please take that opportunity to do so now. Well, sure. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you two, www.mediaocean.com. Um, and www.flashtalking.com. Um, Flash Talking remains uh, running as, a, as an independent product suite. And of course, that's my baby and near and dear to my heart. Um, although I'm responsible for all product and technology now across MediaOcean. So uh, my adopted children are really important to me too. Uh, so um, any, any uh, there's, there's lots of content there. Um, I'm, I'm not a big social media guy, I, I will tell you, which is ironic given what I do for digital advertising. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the place that, that if I spend any, any time, it's there um, and we'll publish out there fairly often. Perfect. Here we are at the final question. What's the one word close you're going to use and tell us why you're choosing to sign off with this word. I'm going to say alternate currencies. Um, and uh, I'm signing off on that because, the, you know, for all of the talk about digital um, sort of changing marketing, TV hasn't changed very much in the last 40 years, but it's about to. 
Uh, Nielsen has lost its MRC accreditation as a third party um, auditor. Um, and so now there are new measurement platforms for television that are emerging like iSpot and VideoAmp and EDO. And these new measurement platforms for TV are bringing new insights for advertisers, are new ways to transact with broadcasters and are really upending the, the sort of establishment of uh, television, not to mention CTV um, and streaming services. So um, when, when I started off saying I was excited, one of the areas I'm excited about is, is the transformation that's beginning to happen in the TV industry. So um, I'll leave you with that, alternate currencies. All right, John, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Great to meet you, Tony. Thanks for having me on.